Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hey guys, I'm Shelby, host of Addicted to Crime podcast. Join us for deep, chilling dives into the evil nature of criminals, and let's take a closer look at their early life and background to see how they got to the day of the crime. This podcast was created in hopes you pay closer attention to your surroundings and hopefully stay safe. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts or else on the website www.addictedtocrime.org. Happy listening, thanks for your time, and stay safe. Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm Catherine. And I'm Haley. And we are Saturdays for the Ghouls. A Podmoth podcast. How are you, Haley? <laughs> I'm okay, Catherine. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Just, you know. Doing good. Living life. Today, what are we talking about, Haley? Well, welcome to Spooky Week. Welcome to Spooky Week, where we want to spook you. Me and Catherine are very unoriginal, so we are doing a part three of Urban Legends. Technically, part four. <laughs> okay, technically part four. I put, I put part three on my notes. Yeah, but we did part three with Janine, so we did. This is technically part four. <laughs> it's part three with just the two of us. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the just two the of two of us. Okay. You and I. Really, the only thing that we generally do in this episode is we we scare ourselves. <laughs> in these type of episodes where we, like, find spooky things to talk about, we just scare ourselves. Surprisingly, I did not get that scared doing this. I didn't get that scared either because none of my stories are like, once you know about it, you're going to come encounter with it. And I'm like, <laughs> none, of mine have, none of mine have those. And, uh... For most, for two, for most of mine, two of them, you have to live someplace else that I don't live. Do you want to go first or last? I'll go last. Okay. My first urban legend is about vampires. Kind of. <gasps> kind is of. it about Spike or <laughs> Damon or which vampire is it? Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't the ones that either glitter, sparkle in the sun, or are hot. So, um, why are anyway. we talking about them at all then? Okay, the next story. <laughs> so, this is the story of Mercy Brown. Oh, okay. Um, it is. It's titled "Mercy Brown and the New England Vampire Panic." Okay. In Rhode Island in the 1880s, there was, you know, a turkey book tuberculosis outbreak and like everybody was getting sick and no one knew why and what other way to get sick than vampires <laughs> they thought that tuberculosis was caused by vampires basically in this time around rhode island they called it they started calling it consumption okay. instead of instead of tuberculosis the story follows it's a family the the brown family uh, we have George and Mary, who are the couple, and they had three kids. Another, they had Mary, uh, they had Mary Olive, Mercy, and Edwin. 
the mother, Mary Eliza, she was the first to get the disease in 1884. Uh, then their eldest daughter, Mary Olive, she got it like right after her mom. 1891, Mercy and Edwin caught the consumption. <laughs> and this is about when the vampire suspicion started happening because the folklore was that multiple deaths in your family meant that you were dealing with the undead. Oh. There was like undead activity or some shit going on. After Mercy died, George Brown, the father, he was mm -hmm. persuaded to have the bodies exhumed of all three of them. Edwin was still alive, but the his wife and two daughters. But one of the local doctors and like all the locals, they came and they exhumed all three bodies. The mother and the other Mary... Mm -hmm. the the two that died way earlier they showed decomposition that was normal right like they were deco like decomposing at a normal rate just cool whatever next they go to mercy mm -hmm. they exhumed her body and mind you march 17th 1892 is when they exhumed her body she had died like two months prior to this maybe yeah but they exhumed her body and there was no decomp in her at all. And there was still blood in her heart. So they were automatically like, she's the reason Edwin's sick. Like, she's the vampire or whatever. So she, if she was the vampire, wouldn't she keep herself alive? You'd think. They, also, don't, doesn't it seem like maybe it was just like malpractice from like the dead the person? Corner. Yeah, the corner. Yeah. The dead person. You know, the dead person doctor. Yeah. Right. So that's what I was thinking, too. Uh, some of the things say, I was like, if she was a vampire, don't you think that she would be gone? Maybe not in there. <laughs> there were some legends say that they, uh, they, they claim that her body, like, moved. It, like, it's not, it wasn't in the same position that they laid her to rest in. <laughs> I was like, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, so they think she's the vampire. So they took out her heart and liver. They burned it. And then they mixed the ashes in water and had Edwin drink it because that was going to cure him. Did it? He died two months later. Yeah. That's like um, some witch science, like if I've ever heard anything. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> these people are like so scared of like witches and like blah, blah. But like, that's the witchiest thing I've ever heard is you burn a heart and a liver and mix it in water and feed it to your child like that's i know i was like people be getting hung for that i know <laughs> women have been burnt at the stake for less it's <laughs> just because the person who did it had a penis that's it and then i just wrote like in parentheses i was like her body her body was stored in a cold crypt and she'd only been dead for like two months or less yeah. so i'm like no shit she's not decomposing because didn't we have another case oh the um the grave robber one remember where the uh, where i told you about the grave robbers and they robbed um this guy who died back in like the 1700s and they mm -hmm. were like this person hasn't been dead for longer than a few days but like when they looked deeper into it like he was dressed like from someone back in the 1700s and he you know that kind of stuff because they're mm -hmm. He was in some kind of like airtight metal um, casket. And so he like didn't decompose like you would normally decompose. 
Right. I remember. Yeah, that shit's crazy. Yeah. Science, guys. Science. That's the story of Mercy Brown and the New England Vampire Panic. Imagine poor little Edwin. Like, he didn't want to eat. He didn't want to eat burnt heart and liver. Mm-hmm. And he was probably suffering so badly. And they were like, here, <laughs> this will cure you. He was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Please don't make me. That's sad. I know. It is really sad. And then sad. he died anyway. Oh, my gosh. All right. So my first legend is uh, it's called The Hide Behind. This comes from American <laughs> folklore. I wrote here as my little tag in case you needed another reason not to go into the woods. Um, <laughs> it's a nocturnal, fearsome critter preying upon humans in the woods. As the name suggests, it hides behind, and so it will conceal itself behind like trees or other objects in the forest. So when someone is looking directly in that direction, they'll never see them because they're hiding like stiff as a board right behind a yeah behind a tree. And there are some crazy drawings and like pictures of a hide behind. Um, And it's just basically like a tree and then like this little person creature thing hiding. Yeah. Uh, And mm -mm. (laughs) so because they're able to hide behind and no one will ever see them if they look direct in their direction, um, they're able to kind of stalk their prey through the woods. So the people who are often taken are like, um, hikers and uh lumberjacks and those kinds of things um and they can attack their prey without any warning uh the hide behind will drag them back to their lair and then they'll eat them mostly their intestines but they are not picky um the only thing that will help you is um the hide behind is not like alcohol so <laughs> it is used as a sufficient repellent and the hide behinds are unlikely to take someone who's been drinking an copious amount of alcohol. <laughs> Thank God I drink. But hide behinds are often to blame for like strange nor- noises in the forest when you don't know like what's out there. Um, early accounts describe it as like a large powerful animal although technically no one's ever lived to tell you what tell them what they look like so we're really only guessing about like what they kind of look like and that's a hide behind now in my research i was like looking at like um hide behinds in like media and I saw that it was like on this game about Harry Potter, but it wasn't in the books of Harry Potter. Anyway, I, if this is anything has to do with Harry Potter, just know I don't like Harry Potter and you're fine. If, if I, I didn't know that and I didn't mean to take this one, but I, I saw something about it being in a game on the Harry Potter website about a hide behind, but probably more not as scary. <laughs> anyway. I didn't mean to do a Harry Potter thing, but I had already done the whole research and I was like, I'm just going to say a disclaimer. I didn't mean to do anything Harry Potter really. (laughs) I'm not a Potterhead. Okay, so my my next one, kind of creepy, but it's about a painting. Okay. The painting is called The Hands Resist Him. It's a painting that 
was done in 1972 uh-huh. by artist Bill Stoneham. Hopefully okay. that's spelled that's right. But it's a depiction of a young boy, and there's a doll girl next okay. to him, and they're standing in front of this like glass pane door, mm-hmm. and it's got like handprint, like hands, like all on like. Oh, okay. The door panel, like, yeah. coming from the outside. And it looks creepy as hell. Like, I don't know why, like, you would want this. This is the picture. Yeah. That's... It's like, creepy little doll girl. Yeah. Yeah. Is it haunted? Um, I don't know. It's kind of out for debate on how I feel about the painting, but other than how it's creepy as fuck. But the, the artist said it. the painting is, it's a picture of him. When he was five years old, he painted a picture of himself from when he was five. The doll girl is, like, his escort. Like, she's going to lead him through the doorway that's, like, behind them. And that's representing the divided line between, like, the real world and the imaginary, the impossible, like, the unthinkable, which is where all the hands are coming from. Yeah. And I guess the hands, like, represent all the possibilities, right? Okay. And I'm like, that's just pure nightmare fuel, but all right. Right. We first see the painting in Fine Garden Gallery in Beverly Hills. Oh. Uh, and this is, it, we're in the early 70s at this point. It was, the artist was having, like, a little, like, solo, like, art show there. Mm-hmm. Um, slash auction. And art critic reviewed the painting and it that painting was bought by actor John Marley, who I don't I didn't recognize the name, but he played in The Godfather, is what it said. He played Jack Waltz or something. There's your little tidbit fun fact. Fun fact. Basically, after he died, the painting went to this old brewery because that's where this this couple had found it, and the couple is the one that put it on eBay for auction after the fact. Mm-hmm. They put the eBay listing up in in February 2000. And in the listing, they said that it's cursed. Doll and the boy move at night. Like, they move in the painting. And then there's they also said that um, at night, they will leave the painting and, like, walk around the room. But yeah, so they made all these claims. And this one I thought was a little weird. They The couple claimed that one night, it looked like the doll was, like, pointing a gun at the boy, which was making the boy want to escape the painting. But, yeah, so because of it being labeled as cursed and whatever, it started going viral a little bit and had over 30,000, like, views on it. Everyone that was viewing this kept saying that the painting made them feel uneasy like, it made them start seeing things. Like, they, they felt like, just through the screen, it was like bad juju, just looking at this painting. Which I can kind of agree, because this painting is creepy as fuck. Have you I would felt not... a lot of bad juju since seeing it? I just don't like looking at it. Yeah, it, like, makes me feel really uneasy to look at it. But I think it's just because the doll's in it, and it's creepy, and it's just bad aura. I would not want that. Mm-mm. <laughs> you don't want but, a um, painting in your house? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Okay. Since the the listing did go viral, also at the at the bottom of the listing, the 
the couple put a liability and they were like, we are not liable if anything happens to you kind of thing with the purchase of this painting. You know, typical stuff. Yeah. So it went viral and the starting bid was $199. They got 30 bids and the final bid was $1,025. Okay, that's not bad for a cursed painting. Yeah. I know true. people would pay more for that. I know. But the person that bought it, it was a uh, an art gallery called Perception Gallery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The the person who bought it, he did it, he contacted the artist, yeah, uh, Bill Stoneham, and explained the story and whatnot and like what he's been hearing about the painting. And the guy was like, "What? No, that's weird." Um, did he deny it though? Not necessarily. He just explained that you know the the gun thing earlier. He explained that it was a it's a battery or something that she's holding, or it's like a battery and wires. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. But you're not gonna talk about. We're not gonna talk about any <laughs> of the accusations <laughs> that the yeah. kids disappear and it's done. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, so the guy bought the painting. He lived lived uh happily ever after for about a year only a year how old and i don't know and the uh the artist guy said that he can he can say that it is weird how the art critic who observed the painting and rated it whatever and the guy who bought it from the gallery, they both died under strange circumstances within a year of being in contact with that painting. The end. Are we going to die now? We don't own it, so I don't think we will. I didn't rate it. We didn't rate it. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah, we didn't rate it. Yeah, we didn't rate it. We didn't buy it. Nope. Mm-mm. I barely looked at it. <laughs> I looked at it through a screen. <laughs> through two screens. <laughs> You're extra protected. I looked at it through one screen, so I don't know. <laughs> wow. That's scary. No one else has owned it or is it's I don't I have no idea. Hmm. I didn't look that deep into it. That's weird. That's suspicious. Suspicious. Okay, so my next one is called the Night Marchers. Ooh. Um, so in Hawaiian mythology night marchers are like deadly ghosts of Hawaiian warriors oh okay so they are like they're like a vanguard of like a king or a chief or a chiefess so on nights honoring Hawaiian gods like Kane or Lono or the knights of Kanaloa it said to it said that the um, night marchers will rise from their burial sites, or they'll rise from like the ocean and start marching in a large group throughout the like island. And they're gonna and they they start marching towards an ancient Hawaiian battle site or other sacred places on the island. Legend says that they're of normal size of other of like a warrior would have been when they were alive. They're dressed for battle and they carry spears, 
Um, some are beating war drums or blowing on conch shells. The legends also say that they are suspended in the air. So like their feet don't touch the ground though. So they're marching, like hovering over the land. Um, and that also, because they don't, their feet don't touch the ground, they also leave no evidence of their feet ever being there. They also march after sunset until just before sunrise. Uh, people who have come encounter with it, they recall hearing chanting, uh, marching, or smelling a like foul, musky odor. And if anyone ever comes across the night marchers while they're marching through the island, they cannot like look upon the night mar marchers or like if they seem at all like defiant or anything, the night marchers will violently kill them. So if you ever feel like if you're in Hawaii, right? And you feel like the night marchers are out. What you need to do is like lay down on the ground face down into like a position of like, you're all good, you know? <laughs> you should lie motionless face down, uh, showing the proper fear is what they say. There are also other people who are like um, considered to be lucky because their ancestors are a march, uh, their ancient ancestors are marchers. So if someone comes across someone who is an ancestor of a marcher or like a warrior, um, the marcher will yell out the Hawaiian word for mine and they will spare them as they march through the island. Oh. There's like a ton of lore about it though. in um, that like goes way deeper that I just, I, I started getting confused. So I'm just not smart enough to go any deeper than that, but that's the spooky parts about Hawaii, I guess. That's scary. I know. I mean, I would I would be scared shitless if uh, I saw night marchers coming out of the fucking ocean. Ancient warriors just, like, marching out of the ocean. I've had this nightmare before. Right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm fucked. <laughs> What's your last story, Haley? My last story is called is about melon heads. That is kind of funny name. Like, it just reminds me of, like, you know, like, the lemon heads or, like, yeah. the lemon sour. Yeah. Do you remember... The Gushers commercial. Yes. Where where all their heads were like fruits. Yes. That's <laughs> what it they reminds ate the me gusher. Of. Yeah. That's what Melon Head reminds me of. Anyway, the more actual scary part of the story. So what what do you think a melon head is, Catherine? Um so I feel like they refer to babies as melon heads sometimes when their heads look like melons. <laughs> I'm assuming they're people whose heads look like melons. <laughs> Yeah, kind of right. Their definition of melon heads, they are a, they are small humanoids with bulbous heads who come out and sometimes <laughs> sometimes they're quirky, fun, and sometimes they <laughs> kill people. <laughs> but sometimes they yeah, attack people. There was no comedy at all in this, so I don't know what they don't make people laugh or anything, but you know, they I don't know what occasionally they uh, they do otherwise. <laughs> this urban legend it's from uh, it's mainly in Michigan, Ohio, and like Connecticut area, but they all have like a variation of melon heads. Okay. So 
they kind of all have like the same like backstory just like a little details are changed so for the michigan the michigan legend the melon heads are mainly seen around a felt mansion melon heads are supposedly children with hydrocephalus which hydrocephalus is just like fluid built up in the brain okay those kids are said to have lived at the junction insane asylum uh they were physically mentally abused to the point where they became feral and they were released into the woods what why that's the mich- that's that's part of the michigan legend but a local by the name of al meshkin um him he said growing up he heard it all the time of legends of the um, the melon heads as a teenager and him and his friends would call them wobble heads, I guess. And his version is that there was one version where they retreated into the caves, the children. The other version was that they had a plan. They basically planned to kill the doctor that was doing all this horrible shit to them. Yeah. And they killed him, chopped up, his, but they couldn't move his body. So they chopped up his body into pieces and, like, hid pieces of his body around the mansion. Okay. <laughs> that mansion probably smells so bad. <laughs> I know. And uh, there's rumors. There were some teenagers that broke into that mansion. And there was rumors that there's that they saw ghosts and that they saw, like, ghostly images of, like, the killing of the doctor. Oh, shit. So I was like, oh, that's terrifying. That's, that's, that's Michigan, right? In Ohio, kind of the same story. There's a doctor. There's children. He's experimenting on them. If I remember correctly, he's actually, like, injecting the, the experiments. He was injecting the children with fluids. Oh, like in their head. their head melons. <laughs> yes. Okay. And um, which caused them to have hairless big heads and like be disfigured and then same and there's story. no explanation of why he wanted to insert water into their head their heads nope. that's weird it's just it's just the back weird back another weird backstory that they have for melon heads same with the previous story they killed the doctor but the doctor had a name in this one dr crow i guess is Ooh. what it's killed the doctor they bur- they were in an orphanage of this in this story they burned the orphanage down and they ret- they retreated into the forest, and legend says they feed on babies. Where do they find babies in the forest, though? I don't know. That's what I was wondering. I was like, where are you going to find babies? Why babies? Also, like, you guys are kids. Are you guys never going to grow up? Like, or are they just short in stature humans? Well, it just says short humanoids. Small humanoids, so I don't know. Right, but in I the... Think in the- in, like, the story from, like, the insane asylum or the mental asylum makes it sound like they're kids. Yeah, they're all they're all kids. Yeah. They started out as kids, but I feel like they just stay small. But they okay. get older, you know? And more yeah. not human-like, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you're eating babies in the woods, I'm assuming mm-hmm. you get a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one, Connecticut one, um, Fair, they're in Fairfield County. There's this insane asylum for the criminally insane. It burned down in the 60s. Everyone, including staff, was basically d- dead and accounted for, except for 10 to 20 patients. 
<laughs> and all melon headed patients. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't say that they were melon heads yet. Oh, okay. So they were they were just patients that escaped. The uh, they escaped into the woods, and the melon head disfiguration part came from the cannibalism and inbreeding. Oh, so they like these criminals, criminally insane people, started mm-hmm. making people, and yeah, eating people, yes. And so they weren't melon heads, but their offsprings and offsprings were melon heads, and their offsprings. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And all the same lore about the melon heads. This is what's similar for it. So it's all all kind of woodsy areas, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because the legend that they tell you to watch, like look out for is don't drive down single dirt roads in the middle of the woods. Because that's where they would <laughs> jump out and get you. <laughs> okay. But you're in a car. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's that's my melon heads. Okay, this is my favorite one that I re- researched this week. Um, that's why it's at, that's why I say best for last, baby. <laughs> okay, so my last one is called, um, and it's got a really funny, cute name. That's like, oh my gosh, that sounds like it would be so fun, right? Yeah, um, it's called a kelpie or a water kelpie. Kelpie, it sounds kelpie. so cute. In Scottish folklore, um, a Kelpie is a shape-shifting spirit that inhabits the lochs or, like, uh, bodies of water in Scotland. Um, So it's described as, like, a big, powerful, black, beautiful horse, but, like, a water horse. And um, it can shift into a human form, but... it's said that when they move into their human form, they keep their hooves. So th- that depiction of the Kelpie shifting into a human form, but keeping their hooves um, leads it to being associating with the Christian version of Satan. Any sizable, most sizable bodies of water in Scotland have stories related to Kelpies. The most the most prominent one is the Kelpie of Loch Ness, um, which is a town in, in Scotland or a place in Scotland Highlands where obviously the Loch Ness monster also lives. I was going to um, say, is this supposed to be the Loch Ness monster? No, <laughs> this is oh. different than the Loch Ness monster. So the Loch Ness monster is like, um, people say that it's like a, a more like a Pegasaurus, like a dinosaur in the ocean. Or in the in the rivers and in, in, in the in the bodies of water of Loch Ness, uh, but this is considerably mostly a horse. <laughs> okay, the origins of the story of a kelp of the kelpie is kind of unclear. Um, in literary terms, the word kelpie um, in Scottish may have originated from the Gaelic term kelpa or calipeach. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, but it's that means like heifer or colt. Uh, the first recorded use of the word was in a manuscript in an ode by William Collins in 1759. And they actually spelt it K-A-E-L-P-I-E. Now it's spelt just K-E-L-P-I-E. So there was an A there. Some folklorists say that the Kelpie actually lives 
just beside the rivers, not in the rivers. Um, but some disagree and say that they inhabit any body of water that they're located in. Uh, the Kelpies are usually described, like I said, as a powerful, beautiful black horse, and they inhabit deep pools of rivers, and they prey on humans that are by the by the water sources or by the rivers. There are a few different methods of, of shape-shifting that have been recorded. Um, so the first one is that when they transform, they transform into like an old man muttering to himself, um, like on a bridge near the water. And, you know, the, the reason why they, they say that is that there was supposedly a back in the day, someone came across an, like a, they called him a wizened old man. And he was like muttering and sewing something in his lap. And they hit him over the head and he shape-shifted back into his horse form. And that's why they think that the Kelpie changes into a old man. Um, and some also say that they change into a handsome man to try to woo pretty women who are around the rivers and things like that. Um, there's There was a story that a woman was trying to be wooed by this handsome young man. And she took off his cross, which uh, his silver cross from around his neck, which kind of was his bridle as a horse. And it made him shift back into his horse form. And so that's how they think that that's how that person thinks that they're, that they're shifting is into a handsome man. Generally, almost all of the shifting stories are male um, and that Kelpies are mostly male. There's only a handful, maybe one or two stories that I found that they shifted into a woman. And then lastly, you can capture a Kelpie if you put on a, um, a halter on the horse with the sign of the cross on it so that you can harness its power to help you build buildings and like move things because they're really powerful. If you are able to get to the horse have bridles and saddles if you take the bridle and saddle off of the horse it ends up making them not magical anymore and they aren't able to shapeshift they aren't able to do any of the bad things that they were doing it doesn't make them it makes it removes their powers and the only way that you can kill a, a kelpie is kind of like you would kill a werewolf and it's by a silver bullet it's the only way you can kill a kelpie you know, all I could imagine, Catherine, was when you talked about them shape-shifting into humans, I was like, oh, Lord, here comes another smut book. Well, I bet you there is. So when I was researching it, I was surprised to see that they were mostly males because I imagine most aquatic, like, like shapeshifters sirens. being, like, sirens. Yeah, like women. Yeah. Beautiful women. Um, and the first picture that I saw, it did look like a mermaid but like with hooves <laughs> and so Kinky. like it looked like a girl but almost all of the stories of the shapeshifter was male which i thought was weird i thought the kelpies were kind of beautiful honestly i didn't actually feel scared by them at all even though supposedly they do kill you and the reason why they're technically an urban legend is i think that the story came about to keep kids away from like the, the river beds and like the dangerous streams and waters and whatever so they don't die well that was fun 
That was fun. Even though I'm a little I'm a little scared. All right. Well, spooky babes. Next week is our crime movie week, and we're doing a simple favor with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. Um, as long as we can find it streamable and or we both are interested in renting it. If it's been changed, that means that we're too poor to rent a movie. <laughs> Haley, do you have anything to tell them the spooky days before we go? Read some smut. Yeah, you know what? Go read a smut book. <laughs> um, if you need any recommendations, our DMs are always open. I got you. If you need any book recommendations, I'm always here for you. And uh, you know what? You're important and you're valid and you matter to us. And we care about you very much. And we are very happy that you joined us today. And we will see you in your nightmares. <laughs>